Let's say that you're scuba diving and you're pretty far down. It's cold and dark down here and you're low on air and you want to go up to the surface. Wait, you can't just start swimming up. Even though you might not feel it, your body is in a state where going up too fast can lead to decompression sickness, which can really mess you up and take a long time to treat. Divers know that you've got to ascend at a certain rate and make safety stops. You've got to follow a procedure. If you sensed a metaphor coming, yep, here it is. Tonight we're going to take a look at the spiritual ocean of sorts we find ourselves in after we die, and the universal process that lets us move gradually up toward the light. Stay tuned. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Great to have you here. Thanks. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm going to be the host as we take a trip today. If you want to be a part of that discussion, get your questions and comments, and you can be part of the show. At the end, we we put them on screen, and I talk about them, and the rest of you can talk amongst yourself about them. Uh, love to hear what you guys are thinking. Um, probably right now you're thinking, "What's up with this? Is that Kurt? Is that you? Are you in your own thumbnail for your own show?" As if this show wasn't narcissistic enough. But there's a reason because today this show is about me going on a trip, uh, and it's actually a trip we're all going to go on together. You can come with me. And not to be morbid, but this is something that's going to happen anyway to everyone. What if we all watching the show were to die suddenly? What would happen? What would our experience be over the next couple of days and months? What would our first phase of life after death be like? That's what Swedenborg reported seeing in his spiritual experiences is what we're going to look at tonight. So let's kick it off with part one, what the world of spirits is. Okay, so this is kind of a throwback too because What the World of Spirits Is was the title of our very first episode of this show more than a year ago. It's the title of a chapter in one of Swedenborg's books, What the World of Spirits Is. All right, so we're not going to tell you about it. We're actually going to go there, all right? And we're going to go there right now. Now what we're doing, this is this will be like the body separating from the spirit. You can also see we're moving up on our background graphics, which you can say it's ascending, it's also going inward. It's also going deeper within the spirit. And as soon as it's, you we're free of not just the body that we're connected to, but also the ways of thinking that physical life leads us in, we access this depth. And it gets us somewhere. So I'm in like a glowy place, but I don't really know what it is. Uh, and since I don't know where I am, I'm going to do what all humans do. I'll check my phone. Uh, okay, world of spirits. Funny, we made it to the world of spirits. What are the chances? All right, we're here. You may be wondering what the world of spirits is. So our first quote of the night is going to address that. The world of spirits means that intermediate state into which spirits enter after leaving the body. But that that guy's not Swedenborg. Usually we kick it off with a Swedenborg quote. This guy, though, Sadhu Sundar Singh, happens to use the same term to mean the same thing, the world of spirits. He was a, you can look up, I don't I don't even know that much about him, but he was this Christian mystic kind of guy. And I just thought it interesting because he uses the same terminology. So that's what Swedenborg says it is too, this first intermediate state. And it's not only where our spirits go after death, it's where our minds are right now. 
Swedenborg says that there's heaven and hell in the spiritual world, and our spirits or minds are in this in-between space, which is also the first place you go when you die, because if your spirit's already there, when your body dies, your spirit just wakes up to where it is, rather than really traveling like we acted like it was here, okay? So, let's get into a little Swedenborg. Divine Love and Wisdom 140. All the spirits who are in the world of spirits are together with us, because we are similarly between heaven and hell as to the deeper levels of our minds. See, I told you. Through the spirits, we are in touch with either heaven or hell, depending on the way we are living. So that's talking about while we're in this physical world. We are in touch through the world of spirits with heaven or hell. And this is a thing. This is affecting the internal climate. This is affecting what kind of thoughts and feelings we get. And this is this is the substance of human psychology. I mean this is this is has a huge impact on consciousness. So that's there, but why are we here? Meaning, okay, let's say, pretend we just all passed on, and why are we first in this world of spirits? What's the function of it? Heaven and Hell 425 says it this way. In order that we may gain either heaven or hell, after death we are first taken to the world of spirits, where either the union of the good and the true takes place for people who are to be raised into heaven, or the union of the evil and false for people who are to be cast into hell. This is because no one in heaven or hell is allowed to have a divided mind. To understand one thing and intend something else. What we intend, we understand, and what we understand, we intend. Consequently, anyone in heaven who intends what is good understands what is true. Anyone in hell who intends what is evil understands what is false. So for good people, the false elements are taken away and they are given truths suited and fitted to their virtue. While for evil people, truths are taken away and they are given false elements suited and fitted to their vice. This enables us to see what the world of spirits is. So what did it take us? Like two minutes and we got into this good, true, evil, falsity thing. But it's a technical reason for the existence of the world of spirits. But that's how Swedenborg saw the spiritual world. And he was getting info on the mechanics of the whole thing. So we have an in we have a you know an internal and an external being and we need to either be good in truth or evil in falsity. Having a mixed mind is gonna cause all kinds of problems for us or for other people. We need to be who we say we are. We need to be transparent and consistent. So let's talk a little bit more I hate to do this to you, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the joining of good and truth and of evil and falsity because it's important groundwork for our journey here. This is Heaven and Hell 479. I've seen that our spirit is our dominant love, meaning what we care about. Our spirit is what we care about more than anything else. From the fact that every spirit seizes and claims whatever suits his or her love and rejects and repels whatever does not suit it. Our love is like a spongy, porous wood that absorbs whatever liquids prompt its growth and repels others. Every love actually wants to be nourished by what is appropriate to it, an evil love by falsities and a good love by truths. I have occasionally been allowed to see that some particular, simple, and good people wanted to teach evil people things that were good and true. Faced with this teaching, though, the evil people fled far away, and when they reached their own kind, they seized on whatever falsities suited their love with great delight. I've also been allowed to see good spirits talking with each other about truths, while other good spirits and attendants listened to them eagerly, while some evil ones who were there paid no attention, as though they did not hear anything. So, good wants the truth. If you're in love, you want to know what's true. If you're in evil, you want what's false. And you you can see that. I mean, doesn't, doesn't, don't evils of particular kinds 
drink in falsity. If you if you want to have some kind of burning hatred against a group of people, anything you can hear that that disparages them, you, you pull it in and you accept it as fact because it justifies the hatred. And we all do this to differing degrees, consciously or subconsciously. So it's a good thing to keep uh, you know some kind of lookout tower for. So that's the mechanics. But I'm here. I want to be good. Let's just say for, for this hypothetical that I want to be a good person. Why don't I just go right up to heaven? What happens? Well, we're going to give that not just another point, but a whole section. So let's get to part two now. So we zoomed again. We're going to do a lot of zooming this episode. And this time, oh, look, at it's like great green screen. I'm in front of a, I'm in a classroom. How do I get in this classroom in a different perspective than the classroom is? All right. So I'm here because this is a little segment on learning. And as Swedenborg describes it, there's a lot of learning in the afterlife. There is probably more learning even than there is here. And we learn so much here. So the two essential reasons why we're here in the world of spirits is that we need training and we need cleaning. Secrets of Heaven 9763 lays it out for us. When people go from the world to the other life, which happens right after death, they take along worldly and earthly qualities incompatible with the spiritual and heavenly qualities of angels. As a result, those who are to go up to heaven are first prepared by being stripped of the worldly and earthly qualities they brought with them. If they were taken up to heaven any sooner, they could never remain in the communities there, because their wisdom and love are not refined enough for the purity in which angels live. Once they have been prepared, though, the Lord takes them up and introduces them into heaven, where they join those angelic communities in which the true ideas and good impulses of faith and love harmonize with their own. So, thus comes that scuba diving intro that we had. You can't go up too hot, too fast, you get the bends. When you're in heaven, you unless you have the distracting elements taken out of your mind, you can't be in that sphere. And we sort of see that in our lives, how we live them. When something really serious comes up, somebody gets sick or something like that, we enter a different sort of state of mind, don't we? Things that were important don't seem important anymore. And this this world of spirits transition is that, just on a larger scale. If that's not making any sense, let me diagram you real quick. Uh, here is a person. And Swedenborg says, we're all a mixture of all kinds of stuff here. They broadly fit into four categories, good, truth, evil, and falsity. As you can see, there's different kinds. There's inherited good, which is just a natural tendency we have towards good. There's actual good things we've done, this in its counterpart in evil. There's truth. Uh, there's truth that we really believe and live, and there, there's falsities that we've seized upon. And this is all scattered throughout us and not really organized. And you have all four coexisting in us right now. To be able to make that trip up through the spiritual water, we have to get like this. We, if we want to go up, we got to have evil and falsity removed. Now, this is a tangent, but Swedenborg says it's never truly gone. It's just made dormant. So nobody's like, oh, I'm perfect. I don't have any evil. But it's made dormant. And good and truth are organized and joined to each other. You can see uh, the round things being good, the boxes being truth. They each have their own. Once you have this internal order, that's the journey. Because it's not about physically moving your spirit body somewhere. It's about coming into the right state of mind because state of mind is movement. 
in the afterlife for that see other shows that we've done so the time so how long does that take if we're sitting around in the spiritual world trying to sort out our our squares and circles how long does that take it depends heaven and hell 426 there is a vast number of people in the world of spirits because that is where everyone is first gathered, where everyone is examined and prepared, first gathered after death. There is no fixed limit to our stay there. Some people barely enter it and are promptly taken, either taken up into heaven or cast down into hell. Some stay there for a few weeks, some for a number of years, though not more than 30. The variations in length of stay occur because of the correspondence or lack of correspondence between our deeper and more outward natures. And in that very first episode of this show that we did, I remember that line, cast into hell, and I had to explain, it's not, he says cast into hell, it's not like you are grabbed by the heaven police and thrown down there. What looks like being cast down is some people just love it, and you, he says they actually dive headfirst into there, because hell is, is uh, exuding the kinds of evils and falsities that they really want to be around. So it's not like, hey, we know what you did, handcuffs, you're going down. It's, it's very much a self-propulsion system. S- anyway, back to what I was saying there. There's a time spent based on how close we are. You can see here, so there's an organized person on the left, disorganized on the right. There's an inner and outer self, um, which we've discussed in many episodes, meaning how we act and how we really are, how you would act if nobody was watching or you knew you could never have any consequences for it. If your outer self and inner self are very different, you spend a long time in the world of spirits. If you were used to acting like you were a nice person, but you're secretly scheming to harm people, it could take a long time for you to become externally like you are internally. So you see the distance between those two states for us is how long the time is. It's just about gaining consistency. Whether you're going to go up or down, you have to be, be who, you know, externally be an image of what you are internally. And that is the time spent in the world of spirits. That, okay, we've got that. Those were just a couple of uh, warm-ups. Now we're going to move into, Swedenborg describes three major states of life that people go into once they've died in their first not more than 30 years, as he describes there. Uh, that again, spiritual time is different than physical time. It's states, not time, but he's approximating. So how do we get from one place to the other? He describes three steps, and we are actually going to lay those three steps out in their own section. So let's get to state one, welcome. All right, so here we are. We're on a street. You, you thought maybe maybe we would be somewhere like ethereal and lighty and stuff. And look, I'm on this street too, and I'm lit just the same as the street is. It's, why is it just a regular place? Because the spiritual world is like initially is very similar. There's a similarity of surroundings. There's a similarity of life because we're just changing as to the spirit. Swedenborg describes it, Heaven and Hell 493, our first state after death is like our state in this world, since we are then similarly involved in outward concerns. We have similar faces, voices, and character. We lead similar moral and civil lives. This is why it seems to us as though we were in this world unless we notice that things are out of the ordinary, and remember that angels told us we were spirits when we were awakened. So the one life carries on into the other, and death is only a passage. 
So it's obviously not the very, very first state because he says, if you remember back when the angels told you, he describes that when we first wake up, we're surrounded by angels. They take care of us. They do everything that they can possibly do for us. It's eventually when we kind of push ourselves out of that state that we come into this equilibrium of normalcy because this is the environment in which we start to act like we did before. We lead a similar life because we have to return to the mindset that we've built because it's that that we use to go through this process of becoming consistent and in integrity. So if we're there and everybody else is there, there's going to be a lot of meetings and greetings. And Swedenborg describes these heaven and hell nine and heaven and hell uh, nine. Oh, oh, this is going to be a video. Okay, this is not going to be a quote. I was like getting ready to read one, but this is going to be a video. It's somebody else reading Swedenborg because we got your letters. You want to hear somebody else talking instead of me on the show. Um, and this is just going to have some images to it as he describes all these different meetings, reunions that he saw in the spiritual world. Since this is what we are like as spirits immediately after our life in the world, our friends and people we had known in the world then recognize us. Spirits perceive who we are, not only from our faces and voices, but also from the aura of our life when they come near. In the other life, whenever we think about someone, we call up that individual's face in our thought, along with many details about her or his life. And when we do this, the other is called to us. This is why as soon as we arrive in the other life, we all are recognized by our friends and relatives, and by people we have known in one way or another. Further, we talk with each other and continue to see each other in keeping with our friendship in the world. I have heard many people who had just come from the world overjoyed to see their friends again, and their friends overjoyed that they had arrived. It often happens that married partners meet and welcome each other joyfully. They stay together as well, but for a longer or shorter time depending on how happily they had lived together in the world. Ultimately, unless they had been united by real marriage love, which is a union of minds from heavenly love, they separate after having been together for a while. We get questions about that last part a lot. If if you are married to two different people, who do you stay married to? Swedenborg says one, maybe one of them, maybe none of them. It just depends. Are you really compatible? It's not about an external uh, contract that people entered into. It's about, you know, was there love? Are you the right kind of spirit? So those people get together all kinds of reunion, just like you'd think. You get there, the first thing you want is to see the people that you love, reconnect with them, but then we got to get about this business of getting our act together so we can all move up. And Swedenborg describes it further, Secrets of Heaven, 1631. At first, everyone in the other life is welcomed as a guest and a newcomer. In order to avoid exposing the inner depths and life goals of these people as yet, angels show them every favor and kindness on behalf of the Lord. Pardon me. Even in the spiritual world, you can have, like, throat problems. So the angels are there, and they're, everybody, let's just keep it cool. Everyone just act like how you were. We're not doing any heavy work right now. We just want you to have a good beginning. We want you to meet the people you needed to meet. And actually, we're going to, a lot of people get taken to paradise scenery, as Swedenborg describes it. Uh, so if this is when people get to go see these amazing things in the spiritual world that just blow their mind. You want to do that? All right, let's do it right now. We're going to zoom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that 3D real water flow. We're, look at this. It's amazing place. You get taken up on these vistas. This is obviously a digital physical approximation of how cool everything would be. 
um, people say this is amazing. Actually, I think this is great. This is so cool that I, I want to actually look around a little bit, if that's cool with you guys. So we're just going to put cameras in my eyes for a second. All right, let's see what's around here. All right, here we are. Hey, the camera, you guys came with me. Glad you could be here. Oh, the water is really pure. The temperature is perfect. Looking around, this feels like paradise. This has got to be heaven. I'm in heaven, right? Let's see. Secrets of Heaven 540. Um, he describes... In order for those who are honest but ignorant to learn what heavenly joy is and to come to recognize it, they are introduced first into scenes of paradise that surpass anything they could ever have imagined. So I'm honest but ignorant. I think this has got to be heaven. They suppose they have now entered the heavenly paradise, but they are taught that this is not the true happiness of heaven. Next, they experience profound states of joy in their deepest core. Afterward, they are carried into a state of peace reaching to the same level. They confess that nothing about that peace could ever be captured in word or thought. Finally, they are brought into a state of innocence that again reaches right into their deepest level of sensation. This allows them to recognize what true good is like on the spiritual and heavenly planes. So you have sort of a, a parable of outer versus inner states there. that You get to be in this gorgeous scenery and look around and think, this has got to be heaven. This is so beautiful here, but they're shown, this actually isn't it here's peace that's heaven they get shown this this amazing internal experience that's heaven the the external aspects of heaven are only heaven because of the the state of mind that people are in and to get to that state of mind we've got to go through to get there permanently to be able to survive uh, up up at that elevation we got to go through this process and it's not just Swedenborg who's saying that uh, Lance Richardson is a guy who he wrote a book called the message and it's a story of his near-death experience and this is a little excerpt from it until that instant, I had not considered that this was not heaven. So he's in a place just like this, that we are here. Though the abode was heavenly, it was a realm where spirits awaited their resurrections. Heaven was a place where God personally resided, a realm where resurrected beings could live. This is not heaven, is it, Randy? I sought to confirm. No, this is paradise. It is a realm of absolute peace, a Zion for spirits who have lived righteous lives. You are right, he continued, having clearly discerned my thoughts. God does not reside here. This is, that is where heaven is. Does he come here, I asked? Oh, yes. He, as well as his angels who have assignments here, come to fulfill their work. So we have not quite heaven. Very cool. Probably cooler than anything any of us physical human beings have seen, unless you've had some kind of parallel experience. However, not heaven. So how are we going to get from here, by this waterfall, to heaven? Well, it begins with examination. Heaven and Hell 496. This is the very end of the first state of, of just happiness and meeting when we start to get down to the business of work. Eventually, good spirits examine them. By the way, you can download this book just by clicking that box if you want to read. It's free. You can download it. Read the whole this whole section if you want to hear more about what he said. Eventually, good spirits examine them to determine their nature. This is done in various ways, them being us anyone who's come into the spiritual world. This is done in various ways because in this first state, evil people can say true things and do good things just the way good people do. As I have already explained, this is because they have lived just as morally in outward form because they were living under governments and laws, and because this gained them a reputation for fairness and honesty, won people over to them and raised them from, to high office and wealth. However, one can tell evil spirits from good ones, particularly by the fact that the evil ones pay close attention when the conversation is about external concerns, and little attention when it is about more inward matters, about the true and good principles of the church and heaven. 
They do hear such things, but without any real attention or pleasure. One can also identify them by the fact that they consistently turn towards certain regions, and when they are left to themselves, follow paths that lead to them. One can tell when what love is leading them from the regions they face and the paths they follow. So you turn, distance in the spiritual world is state of mind. If there's something you love somewhere, you turn toward it. And you do that when, when you're left to themselves, when you're around other people, maybe I, I'm not looking down there, I'll pay attention to what you say. But when it's just you and you just go where your whims take you, where are you facing? What paths are you starting to walk down? That's the initial hint. But we have to get way past initial hints. We have to get into full-on examination mode. And we can't do that here in this paradise. we got to get somewhere more suited for the second state. So let's go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, and then I, I just did this whole outro. Never mind. I forgot one part. There is, in this state, you probably are wondering, where's the life review, right? Uh, where people describe near-death experiences, they have this review of life. That actually happens in this first state, even though it is sort of a, a guiding thing. It's like, um, it's not deep enough that you have to have that. Swedenborg describes it as, a, he calls it the book of life. I actually have a book of life here if you want to see it. Um, this thing right here. It's not actually a physical book he describes, but it's just a, it's a phrase, it's from the Bible, that means sort of the, the catalog of your life, of your thoughts and feelings. And he says that he saw amazing things drawn out of people's memories in the other life, out of their book of life, such as books that they had written. There are books that they had written in the world. Um, there was every single word there, just not pulled out because someone had a copy of their physical book, but from their memory. Also, there was things that people had forgotten yeah, I gotta get above that. Things that people had forgotten can be that oh, I totally forgot about that can be pulled out of their memory there, and they can see it, react to it. It can be shown to other people. Now we would call this a life review, which is like a series of images. Um, you know, of like you're you're with uh, people and you're how you're interacting with people. What does it matter? That kind of thing. So that would pop up. Anyway, all that would be what we now call the book of life. All right, so does that make sense? Uh, so we can be done this book now. Isn't that amazing in the spiritual world? Things just disappear when you don't need them anymore. So hopefully that makes sense. Heaven and Hell 498 will cap the whole thing off here. Uh, so we're going to pull it up right now. Hey, look at that. The waterfall is still rolling while I'm in this little box. That's beautiful. So again, this is about the timing of the whole thing. This first state after death lasts a few days for some people months for some and a year for some, but rarely more than a year for anyone. The difference for particular individuals depends on the harmony or discord between their outer, their inner and outer natures. These inner and outer natures must act as one and correspond for everyone. No one is allowed to think and intend one way and speak and act another way in the spiritual world. Everyone must be an image of his or her affection or love, which means we must be outwardly what we are inwardly. This is why the outer concerns of a spirit are first stripped off and brought into order so that they may serve as a plain responsive to the inner ones. And that is what we've been saying the whole time. Um, that, that's been this episode, but it's the answer to why do you have a life in the physical world first? Because in the physical world, we don't have to be externally just like we are internally. There can be a dichotomy between the two, and we can actually rage against ourselves at times. I want to do that. I know I'm not supposed to do it. i got to clean up this thing. We can get that kind of work done here when it's not just when we have an ability to go against our nature. So we do that here, and once we put in our work here, and we die and go to the next world, then we have this opportunity 
to get sorted out, get these things in harmony. You know what I mean? That's why we're in this world. But we're not in the, this, the physical world right now. We're in the spiritual world. So let's get deeper in there. We've done our time here in the paradise. We've looked at the book of life. Now, it's finally actually time to look at state two. So let's zoom. If you think that's creepy, wait till you see when I appear on screen. We're here on our... Oh, yeah, I'm darker. It's not that we... You know, that's just the light in the second stage. It has nothing to do with how many lights we turned off here in this room. Um, so, don't let it creep you out. It's not supposed to be creepy. It's just a little more serious and a little more gritty because here we're getting into some of the heavy lifting. This is when pretense... There's that initial phase, but now we're in a phase where pretense disappears and we have access to the deeper regions of our minds. And actually it's not all it's not all um, it's not all scarier or negative. People who are if you're in inwardly devoted to good, you actually behave in more lucidly and more sanely. And if you're but if you're inwardly devoted to evil, if you're constantly thinking about schemes and harming people, you start to act a little bit crazy. And that is part of the plan in the second state. So let's take a look at Heaven and Hell 506. All the people who have lived lives in the world focused on what is good and have acted in accord with their consciences, that is, people who have acknowledged the divine being and loved divine truths, and especially people who have applied them to their lives, seem to themselves to have awakened from sleep when they are let into this state of more inward concerns, like people who have come from darkness into light. So it can, if, if life is feeling confusing, nothing makes sense, you want to try to do what's good, but it can actually be like waking up. This is great. They're actually thinking from heaven's light and therefore from a deeper wisdom. And they're acting from what is good and therefore from a deeper affection. Heaven is flowing into their thought and affections with a profound feeling of blessedness and pleasure that they had never known before. This is because they are in touch with heaven's angels. Then too they acknowledge the Lord and worship him with their very lives, because they are engaged in their own lives when they are in this state of more inward concerns. In this way they move away from an outward holiness and into the inner holiness that is the essence of real worship. So, this can be a very awesome time. This is when the clutter gets, gets moved to the side, we can actually get past the things we've been wanting to get to, and we feel more clear and more in tune. And when we're in this state, the state of deeper concerns, we have the chance to make decisions. One more number from heaven and hell this is 507. When spirits are in this second state, they actually look exactly the way they were inwardly in the world. The things they had done and said in secret are now made public too, because now, since outward factors are not restraining them, they say the same things openly. And they keep trying to do the same things without any of the fear for the reputations they had in the world. No offense at all to the people in the chat room right now or who comment later, but don't you sort of see this in anonymous online commenting? You have people saying really negative things. They wouldn't, you'd never go to a, a theater or, or a party and say that kind of stuff, but because there's no repercussions, it, it loosens uh, the restraint a bit. Swedenborg is saying that's what's happening to our spirits then. You, you sort of lose your filter. You lose your sense of, oh, I shouldn't say that because what will people think of me? You just dive in to whatever is really uh, in you in a deeper level. And that, in some cases, is great, and in some cases, leads to some really 
wild situations. And Swedenborg describes that we don't stay in that, you actually vacillate between the two, and this is a chance for people to see some of their issues and reform based on this. This is, again, by popular demand, somebody else reading Swedenborg, and him describing how it is for people going through this state. Once people like this are in the second state, they are let back into the state of their more outward concerns for brief periods of time. They then retain a memory of how they have behaved when they were in the state of their more inward concerns. Some of them are embarrassed and admit that they were insane. Some of them are not embarrassed at all. Some of them resent the fact that they are not allowed to be in the state of their more outward concerns all the time. But they are shown what they would be like if they were constantly in this state. They would be constantly trying to do the same things covertly, misleading people of simple heart and faith with simulations of goodness, honesty, and fairness. They would destroy themselves completely, because eventually their outer natures would be ablaze with the same fire as their inner natures, and this would consume their whole life. I don't know if it seems loving to you. I, it might seem harsh that, oh, there's good and bad, and you're led into this, and, but to me, I do see love that there's people who are going into all this really negative stuff, and then they're pulled back out of it, and they're like, and they're told, hey, did you see how you were? And some people are embarrassed, and that's sometimes you got to hit bottom to get, okay, I need to get this out of my life. Other people say, well, why can't I just stay like I am now with the, the negative stuff hidden inside me? And instead of people saying, because you got to pay for having that evil in there, you got to be embarrassed, it's saying, if, if we didn't do this for you, you would destroy yourself. That evil that you're holding in there, which is poisonous to the soul, would permeate the entire you. So we can't, we can't let you do that because you would kill yourself, spiritually speaking. So I see that as decently loving. All right, there, there, is more, there are more ways to recognize what's going on inside of you when you're in this second state. Swedenborg, one of the most, most hard to fathom things he describes about the spiritual world is that the external spiritual world, the thing you see when you look around, is a mirror of the inner realities in people. The, see how we have these houses, these doors here look like this? That would be because of the people that live in them. It's not here where an object just exists on its own. Everything there is a reflection of the inner lives of sentient beings. Is that trippy enough for you? It's useful, though, because if you know how to read the language of correspondences, you can tell whether the signs when you're in the spiritual world, are good or bad. Uh, where, or if you see somebody else, what they're into by how they react to the landscape and the landscape reacts to them. Swedenborg lists these. First of all, here's a couple of bad signs. Um, if you find yourself, not in this world, but in the spiritual world, starting to flee from the light, you're just, I just don't like to be in light, give me somewhere a little bit darker, that could be a correspondence of internally loving falsity and hating truth, because in the spiritual world, light is truth. If you find yourself hanging out in dark rooms, <laughs> whispering to people, that, he says, that comes from a delight in deceit, which is a pretty blatant one-to-one correspondence. If you find yourself preferring sandy areas to meadows and gardens. Now, again, not in this world. Some people would love to walk up that sand dune. I would too. Doesn't mean we've got these issues, but in the spiritual world, if you prefer sandy areas to meadows and gardens for for a certain reason, that could be an indication of loving knowledge only to sound smart 
or having pride, because stone corresponds to knowledge, and it's all these little stones. Nothing can grow in it. It's just to make you look good. Also, if you find yourself attracted to morgues in the spiritual world, that may mean you have an inner bent on revenge. Swedenborg says people who are consumed by revenge just naturally started, oh, I want to walk over to that morgue. Man, I want to check it out. All right, enough of this morbid stuff. Let's take a look at some good signs. If you're there in the spiritual world during your second state and you happen to like being in the light and like going up into mountains, that could be a sign of the love of spirituality, spiritual principles, not for its own sake and not for gain. That Not just to look like, oh, I'm the coolest yogi in the world, but I love what these principles do for myself and other people. If your surroundings in the spiritual world seem to laugh and play and are full of life, that is showing that you are applying spiritual knowledge directly to your life. Also, if you see a heavenly translucent light in everything, Swedenborg says that comes from loving to give credit in creation to the Creator. So if you have this acknowledgement of God in that way, everything glows with this light to you because that's the correspondence out there. If you have a glowing face, a radiance in the face, Swedenborg says, is comes from a desire to be open and honest, and the face is the window to the soul. So if you just, I just want, I'm not going to deceive anyone, the face shines. Also, beauty and youth in body comes to those who, being spiritual body, uh, those who cherished marriage love and shunned adultery and harmful practices like that. So all these, these are all correspondences, Swedenborg says, that you see these, the second state, you remember how I was reading before, it said the first state looks like um, you you look like you used to. In the second state, you look outwardly like you were inwardly. All these things, the way, the kinds of thoughts and feelings and motivations you had show up in, in the way that you look. Now I want to just quickly run over some bad behaviors. This is a way that people behave in the spiritual world if they're having some negative stuff inside. So if you start to behave like this, it's time to, you know, do some self-examination, maybe get some stuff out. Or if you see other people, be wary. Uh, If people start to speak stupidly, Swedenborg says that people who are focused on their own prestige inwardly begin to speak stupidly in that state, whatever that means. Some people might say, I am that way on this show. Okay, Um, if, if you join groups that study the magical arts and hatch plots, yes, Swedenborg says there are magical arts in the afterlife. Well, if you're already gonna believe there's an afterlife, wouldn't you just go for magical arts as well? That These actually play a big role. What he says is they come, the magic arts, that's the way he describes it. It's an abuse of correspondences. So you just sort of learn that, like all evil, you learn how the system works and you abuse it for your own gain or to harm people. So if if you go gravitate towards groups of people who are learning that stuff, that that is an indication of inner being caught up in self-love and guile. Also, finally, if you start calling yourself Christ... People do this. That generally comes from this religious arrogance that you think you know who can go to heaven or hell. People start to say, I'm Christ, I'm Jesus. A lot of people claim to be Jesus Christ there, even if they're not. Okay, so those are a few behaviors to watch out for, <laughs> and hopefully that's specific enough for you. Um, there's This state is not just to point at people. There's a use in everything. Nothing harmful happens unless good can come out of it. Heaven and Hell 508 describes a bit of this. when He's talking about this madness that people go into in this state. However, the Lord controls their madness so that it does not transgress the bounds of usefulness. For there is some use for every such individual. 
Good spirits see in them what evil is and what its nature is, and what people are like if they are not led by the Lord. So even if you're intent on evil and no one can stop you, you're still helping the world because you're showing other people this is what you don't want to do. Openly evil individuals also serve to gather people of similar evil and separate them from good people, to remove from evil people the true and good elements that they presented and feigned outwardly, and to lead them into the evils of their life and the falsities of their malice, and thus prepare them for hell. So that is a strange concept, but the gist of it is this sorting process that we saw in that diagram before, where you, if you need to have either evil and falsity together in you, or goodness and truth. You can't have both. That's tr- true for evil people as well as good people for their happiness, that you can be much happier, believe it or not, in hell with evil and falsity together than having a mix of evil and truth. That will make you miserable. So people who are openly evil in the spiritual world pull pull the good and truth out of people who are already devoted to evil, and pull the truth out, get falsity in. That's actually a service to those evil people. God arranges it so that everybody is helping, even if they wouldn't want to and don't realize it. And again, that's just the part of the law that Swedenborg describes there. So we talked about these groups. I want to hit you with one last hard-hitting diagram here. This is about people who, so you see they're traveling around the spiritual world, but they stop at different communities. This is what we do. The people who are in evil rush into their evil community, but the people who are in good, who have turned towards a good community, they can't rush in yet. Like the scuba diver, it's a little harder to go up. You have to get ready by instruction. And that just happens in a perfect segue to lead us into part five of our show, which is state three. It's about instruction and preparation. So uh, you ready? Buckle up. Let's do it. You may not be able to tell um, where I'm sitting in this temple. There, you know, I'm in it, but there's just a very bright light right in front of me of a different color than than here. So that's why I, I look like this. <laughs> okay, I'll stop making green screen jokes. Basic knowledge: If you are to go up, there's a certain suite of basic information that you've got to have. Swedenborg says in order for us to move up, these are just things you learn on the threshold when you're trying to walk up the heavenly path. Heaven and Hell 512 describes it. I'm sure this is not comprehensive, but this contains elements of it. No one can behave in a heavenly manner without first having been taught things like the fact that God exists, that heaven and hell exist, that there is a life after death, that God is to be loved above all and our neighbor as ourselves, and that we are to believe what it says in the Word because the Word is divine. Without recognizing and admitting these principles, we cannot think spiritually. Without thought about such matters, we cannot intend them. For what we do not know, we cannot think, and what we do not think, we cannot intend. However, when we do intend such things, heaven flows in. That is, the Lord flows into our lives through heaven, for he flows into the will, and through that into the thought, and through both of these into the life, since they are where our whole life comes from. This is generally addressed to people on earth. However, It's also to people in the spiritual world because there are plenty of people in the afterlife who don't believe that there is an afterlife. Remember before we talked about evil wants to soak in falsity, that there's a lot of people who don't like the idea of there being an afterlife or a God or a heaven and hell, so they shut that out and you're allowed to. There's nothing you're forced to believe, but if you want to go up into heaven, there's certain things you got to admit because that's the mindset that can accept heaven, okay? 
heaven and hell. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about how we're taught according to our levels of experience. Just like here, there's a lot of effort put into meeting people where they are. How do people learn? Or we're trying to more and more these days. There, depending on where you are in your life, you'll be taught differently. This is heaven and hell 5:15. It says. Not everyone is taught in the same way or by the same communities of heaven. We're describing this all in, in sort of block steps. Like first it's this, then it does this. But obviously the world is, the spiritual world is as big and complex more so than this one. So it's not all going to be the same. People who have been raised in heaven from infancy, the people who had died as little babies on this earth who just have only really known heaven, are taught by angels of the inner heavens because they have not absorbed false notions from distortions of religion or befouled their spiritual life with impurities drawn from rank and wealth in the world. Yeah, so Swedenborg was pretty down on the religion of his day. Most people who have died as adults are taught by angels of the outmost heaven because these angels are better adapted to them than are angels of the more inward heavens. These latter focus on a deeper wisdom that the deceased cannot yet Except, So there we have, last week we talked about the different levels of heaven, and it's not that the different levels are better than each other, because in this case, the lowest or outermost level needs to be there to teach us, because we can't understand the higher levels, and if they weren't there, there would be this disconnect. Everyone is, is playing a part, just like the skin is essential to the body. If it wasn't there, the heart and lungs, everything inside would be in really bad shape. So he also mentions that you're taught by people from your tradition— there's a, it's, it's not, you're not going to show up and somebody who doesn't vibe with you at all is going to teach you. It's going to be people who know where you're coming from and know the right path and how to speak your language to you. He, I'm, we're not going to get into it much here, but he talks about false heavens. If people come into heaven with an idea that heaven is like this, heaven is continually partying, heaven is just worshiping all the time. Heaven is feasting all the time. Instead of an angel saying, you're wrong for thinking that, that's bad, they say, all right, yeah, then then go to heaven. This is going to be great. And Swedenborg has this whole story about people who get to go try their heaven. And after a little, they, oh, they love it at first, but then they just get so sick of it. They realize this is not heaven. Doing one thing all the time is not heaven. Then they're shown the real heaven. And they learn via experiences. In Heaven and Hell 5.17, he describes that teaching in the heavens differs from teaching on the earth, and that their, their information is not consigned to memory, but to life, since spirit's memory is in their life. They actually accept and absorb whatever agrees with their life and do not accept, much less absorb what does not agree. This is because spirits are affections, and therefore have a human form that resembles their affections. Since this is their nature, they are constantly breathing in a desire to know what is true for the sake of constructive living. The Lord, in fact, sees to it that we love the constructive activities that suit our gifts. This love is intensified by our hope of becoming angels. There are various ways in which an affection for the truth suited to usefulness is instilled, many of them unknown in the world, primarily by depictions of useful activities, so futuristic learning tools. These can be presented in thousands of ways in the spiritual world, with such grace and charm that they permeate spirits all the way from the deeper levels of their mind to the outer levels of their bodies, and therefore affect the whole person. As a result, spirits virtually become their constructive lives. 
So when they arrive in the communities their instruction has prepared them for, they are in their own life when they are engaged in the useful activities, in their useful activities. We may gather from this that awareness, which is an outward form of truth, does not get anyone into heaven. Rather, what gets us is in is the useful life that is granted through knowledge. So love, truth, use, that's the, the, the triforce of Swedenborg, if you will, the, the foundation on which everything rests. Um, and that is exemplified there. That In the learning, it's not just you go, I've got to take a biology exam, I'll learn some things about biology, memorize them, write them, forget them. You use them, they become part of your life as you learn. That's the kind of living that can get you into heaven. It's done in all these very cool ways. We don't know what they're like. However, we have a few examples. Swedenborg talked about uh, people being shown the benefits of a mind or memory that led in the light of heaven. And, and to get that, they're actually shown representative correspondential images of the brain. Uh, like, you know that old, this is your brain on drugs thing? This is your brain on falsity. They'd be shown, there's five different pictures they're shown. The first one, we didn't make the pictures because we don't know exactly what it would look like, but here's a description. Uh, they were shown a calloused substance that looks hard and streaked with tendons. And this is this is like the mind of people who have focused on memorization without developing their rational ability. Uh, and then the next one, they're showing that same substance, but it looks shaggy. And this is people who have filled their memories with a random disorganized mass of false notions. And then they were the same thing shown that uh, a different one that looks like uh, stuck together and bony. This is people who have focused on memorization just for the sake of themselves and worldly pursuits. And then we got another one, I think. Is that the last one? Okay. A dark substance that absorbs light and turns it into darkness. Now, this is a picture of a human mind in some way that does this. People who have tried to probe divine secrets without believing anything before it is proven to them. That creates that kind of thing. And then finally, a callous substance that's bony, hard as ebony, and reflects the light's rays, people who've been cunning and hypocritical. So they're shown all this stuff, and then they're shown what a, a, a mind in the proper order is like. And somehow the juxtaposition, the contrast between those images drives home this point about the importance of cultivating the right mindset. So in summary, much more exciting way to learn things than watching this show. But since you got nothing, you got none of that on earth, that's why we rake in the big bucks making this show. Uh, Lance Richardson, you know, we had him up before. Uh, he talked about learning through keyboards uh, in, in his book, The Message, just playing music, dead learning. Uh, Swedenborg talks in Heaven and Hell 466 um, about this learning, how it takes place. However, for people who have focused on the good of love, oh, this is, this is back to that callous thing, I forgot. This is kind of the closure for that callous, in case you guys were, were on the edge of your seats with that story. No, no such callous is visible. For people who focus on the good of love and the truths of faith, no such callous is visible. This is because their inner memory is transmitting rays of light into their outer memory, and those rays find definition in its objects or concepts as though it were their foundation or their soil and find congenial vessels there. This is because the outer memory is the outmost element of the design where spiritual and heavenly matters come gently to rest and dwell when there are good and true contents in it. So you're shown like a hyped up biology lesson. This is the structure of the mind when things are right. Look at how awesome that is. Don't you want to be as awesome as that? So that's how that does. And then further <clears throat> about this instruction, Swedenborg gives a description here uh, of a temple 
with some stares and what it all means. So this is somebody reading Swedenborg again. I have talked with angels about wisdom on occasion, and they have told me that wisdom is union with the Lord because the Lord is wisdom itself. They have told me that they attain this union when they banish hell from themselves, and that the union is in direct proportion to the banishment. They picture wisdom, they said, as a wonderfully elegant palace with 12 steps leading up to it. No one gets to the first step except with the Lord's help and by union with Him. And for all of us, the ascent depends on that union. The higher we climb, the more clearly we realize that no one is wise on her or his own, but only from the Lord. We also realize that relative to what we do not know, what we do know is like a droplet compared to a vast lake. The 12 steps to the palace of wisdom mean whatever is good united to what is true, and whatever is true united to what is good. 12 steps? Coincidence? The guy who invented the 12 steps wasn't Swedenborgian, but had them in his family. So was he influenced by that when he made this 12-step program? I don't know. Was he tapping into a deeper universal spiritual phenomenon where there's 12 steps symbolic of the complete raising of the mind into heaven? I don't know these kinds of things. What makes you think I would know that? (laughs) Moving on. This is a phenomenon that we experience every time when we're making a show like this for you guys. There is more stuff on the subject than we could possibly fit in here because there's time and space. We just don't want to run for two hours. We couldn't do it. So these are a couple things we basically had to leave out. First of all, there's this whole level to this learning preparation experience that's called shatterings. And that is experiences... Wow, that worked well. That is experiences where you sometimes have to get the negative stuff of your life shattered out of you. You go through rough things. We go through these, in this world, sometimes hard things lead to spiritual growth. If it, only if it's absolutely necessary there. And we talked about it in another episode. Sometimes it's as subtle as like disturbing dreams. If you're really holding on to something negative, it can be a little rougher just to get you through it. But again, done with love from good. Removes evil. That's the point of it. And that's the way it works. Obviously, very much more integrated and complex than we could talk about here. We just got to leave it with that there. We're just going to leave you actually with one final thought on the whole thing. This is from Heaven and Hell 481, about the way that we bring our minds into this heavenly state. We come into heaven if our love is heavenly and spiritual, and into hell if our love is carnal and worldly, without any heavenly and spiritual dimension. Heavenly love is loving what is good, honest, and fair because... Here's heaven, what heavenly love is, if any of you guys were wondering. Heavenly love is loving what is good, honest, and fair because it is good, honest, and fair, and doing it because of that love. So there's your definition. This is why they have a life of goodness, honesty, and fairness, which is a heavenly life. If we love these things for their own sakes and do or live them, we are also loving the Lord above all because they come from Him. We are also loving our neighbor because these things are our neighbor who is to be loved. Loving the Lord is loving to do things because they're good. That's what it means. We can be doing this work, the same work we saw in these states, we can be doing it here in this world. If we work to be outwardly like we are inwardly and to get there, clean up the inward, try to do what's honest, kind, and fair because it is that and and love it for that rather than because it makes us look cool or superior or or something like that. 
That's the final thought. We want to take your questions and comments now, but they actually, we don't have a good Wi-Fi connection here in the Spiritual World Palace, so we're going to zoom back to the studio to take that. Um, And here we are, and then we'll take our customary video break, and then we'll get your questions on the other side. dropping out of that temple rattled my brain a bit and I forgot to say this please like and subscribe to our channel uh, this these are these little buttons here that helps raise our channel up into heaven the YouTube heaven of suggested videos and would really appreciate it and if you want to help the help support the engine that makes this program does this programming consider making a donation to the Swedenborg Foundation 501c3 we actually have a grant that matches it five to one so if you give five bucks we'll get another 25 in there so that's pretty awesome thank you guys for all your support and for all your support just through being here and we're going to prove that we like having you here by looking at your questions and comments now so let's take a look can spirits have babies like humans do answer no that's how Swedenborg says it and what he says about it is that there are married couples in heaven, but they don't have babies. Like, there's a new person. He says they have offspring, which is good in truth, which might sound a little weird, but that's the essence of life. I don't know exactly what that would mean, but he says good and truth are the spiritual offspring of heavenly procreation. That That's our job here on earth. Just like we're, we're again, we're like the feet of the the grand body of heaven. The feet have to be there. We got to continue the human race here. That's how the whole thing goes. It's not like heaven can do everything without us. They need us for some stuff. So it's not just like we're parasiting off them. So that's what he says about that. Let's take a look at the next question. Michael, since children and adults go different places for re-education in the afterlife, what happens if a mother and child die at the same time? Are they separated? Well, if heaven is full of love and wisdom and completely sensitive to the human condition, you'd think they're going to, they're not just like, oh, you go this way, you have this tag. You, they're going to understand if there's a bond there of mother and child. Um, I would imagine that there is a, a space for that. It's not just like an inhuman machine that, that sets it up. And families, there's this, he talks about that initial state of reunion if your reunion is right away for both of you, you, you would get to be together. I don't know how that whole thing would go, but I, I can't see a spiritual family being broken up lightly like that. I'm sure there would be assistance and help. I don't know. I don't know the details. He doesn't talk about that, but that's what I can say based on the stuff I know from his other stuff about stuff. Thanks. Let's take a look at the next question. Tammy, can spirits remain earthbound? It's an interesting question in terms of Swedenborgian philosophy or or, or theology or worldviewism. There's a term earthbound spirits that is that is from people who I, I don't know if it began with with like psychics and mediums or people who talk about this spirit is is earthbound. In Swedenborg's terminology, hell is earthbound in the way that you are you are absorbed in carnal sensory type pleasures in the hellish mindset. So from that, you would be more and more interested in worldly things, like we like the lower elements of this world. 
Also, I do hear him talk about evil spirits wanting to, imagining they're still in this world and wanting to be in this world, and I think because, like we saw in this episode, in the, in heaven you can't practice guile, or in the spiritual world you can't practice guile. You have to be what you say, and if, if what you, what if, uh, what you really are deep down is something that is repulsive to people, you'd rather not anyone know that, because then you can't worm your way in and, and take advantage of them. So, those are a couple of scattered thoughts on, on the earthbound thing. Uh, and as far as being earthbound in the way that it's commonly described now, I'd say there's elements of that in Swedenborg. It's a little bit different. Okay? Okay, cool. Next one. Are aliens demons? Sherry. Um, Swedenborg does talk about aliens. He does say that we are only one planet out of many planets that has people on it. He calls everybody... All, all people, he, he actually, in spirit, says that he talked to people from other planets. So there you go. And we're all human. He calls us all human. I don't know if that would mean, I doubt that means we're all biologically the same species, but he considers us all part of the human race. So he talks about aliens that are good and bad, just like there's people who are good and bad. Good aliens are angels. Bad aliens are, de- are demons or devils. Um, so there can be, but not all of them are. Some aliens are super friendly, and you'd love to hang out with them uh, in the great city that is the afterlife. So there's there's some Swedenborg-type thoughts on that. Next one. Theoraptis. What happens to those who aren't entirely good or bad, but somewhere in between? I think there you have... Um, there you have the length of stay in the world of spirits, that there is this time when you really solidify it. Even though it seems like in the world there's a lot of gray area, you can't just go around saying people are good or bad. The way Swedenborg describes it, there is a, there is a fundamental dominant love in each of us uh, that, that isn't always known to us, and that is what defines who we are. So, it is sort of binary in a way. It's it's what you place precedence over. You can have good and bad in you, but what would you choose if you had to pick one? And it's not just choose. It's what we choose throughout our life, what we act on. I don't know the exact mechanics of it, but there is an underlying level somehow. There it is a you're good or bad. I don't know what it all what it, that all looks like practically, but there can be plenty of people who seem like this person is really bad, but actually it was circumstance. You know, real evil is a free choice because you love that evil. So that's an unsatisfying answer, and that's what I'm going to leave. Okay, thanks, man. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, you know, I don't want to push it if I don't have anything more. T-Lock, if you want a spiritual experience, why is it so hard to have one? We did a show once that's called Why Don't Our Loved Ones Communicate With Us More? When I put these up, that means I'm saying a title of a show. Why Don't Our Loved Ones Communicate With Us More? You can uh, search this channel for that or search YouTube for it. And that talks a little bit about how it's not just arbitrary that it's hard to talk to people in the afterlife. There's a whole system. Just like if the Let's go back in time to when there were landlines. Well, we can even talk now about cell phones. If I want to call somebody, but just now a meteor shower has destroyed all the satellites, if that's how it works, I can't talk to that person because the mechanism isn't there. Humanity has destroyed its spiritual satellites by the way that we've lived, and we've cut ourselves off from what's deep and good and true. And because of that, collectively, not because of any person individually, um, 
there, there's this spiritual pollution that makes it so it's not safe for us to have these communications. So it's a lot harder. It does happen, obviously, but it doesn't happen like Swedenborg says, back in the beginning, when everything was pristine, you would have open communication all the time. You'd have dreams, you'd have waking visions, you'd talk to angels and God. That was how it was meant to be, but things, are, things aren't like they, they should be. And, but hopefully we're headed back in that direction. Okay, let's take a look at another one. White Dove. What do I do if I'm being haunted by a demon from in my mind living inside me? Well, it sounds like a really tough place to be in, and that is certainly something that I've heard many people describe. There's something tough going on. My, rather than trying to say, oh, just do one, two, or three, I would recommend we have a couple of shows on that topic, because Swedenborg went on and on about evil spirits and what they try to do. First of all, I would recommend... Our next week's show, which hasn't come out yet, but is going to be called The Lies Evil Spirits Tell Us, which is about that same subject. But also, if you go back, we have a show title that is How to Deal with Evil Spirits. And this, that is a look at Swedenborg's theology around evil spirits, but then also experience with a guy who was working with schizophrenics who were having evil spirits attack them. It's interesting. Uh, There may be some useful tools in that. There's also an episode called How to Free Your Mind from Hell which all is, again, about the phenomenon of evil spirits and how they attack. I'd say take a look at those, and if that's not helping you, write another comment to us or something, and we'll, we'll try to point you in a good direction. So I uh, hope, hope things go well. I know that, that can, people can have very frightening internal experiences, and I hope you can get support, you know, find people that, that put you in a good mood and, and see if there's anything there that's helpful for you. Okay, next, let's take a look at the next one. Buxilala, can spirits hear what I think or say here, or are they busy? I don't know. There's, Swedenborg was piercing the veil. He was able to be in both worlds to the point where spirits could interact with him openly and see what he was saying. But it's a little different with us, although we can get to that state. It does seem, he does describe this original realization, wait a second, spirits can know what I was thinking? I thought only I could ever know what I was thinking. So there does seem to be um, some kind of, you're never as alone as you think you are. Um, But I'm not sure when is it they can hear word for word. Sometimes Swedenborg talks about correspondences that they can just see what you're thinking about, that our dreams are actually correspondences based on what the spirits around us are thinking about, or the angels. So I don't know exactly what that uh, ratio is, but there certainly is an element of the spiritual world is very immediate, and what we're doing here directly reflects into them. So there, there's a couple thoughts on that. Um, if I have more time, I could dig into the Swedenborg and maybe get it figured out, but that's where I am right now. Thanks very much for the question. Uh, let's do another one. Two. I know someone who is genuinely, genuinely thinks he is Jesus. Is he not just mentally ill? Is it spiritual? Speaking of the mentally ill, do they heal on the other side? Oh, yeah, good job putting those together. So, is he not just mentally ill? Is it spiritual? Uh, Swedenborg says the spirit is the mind. So, spiritual illness is mental illness. The spiritual world is at play in everything. However, our consciousness is an interaction of the spiritual and physical worlds. You know, obviously, if you damage part of your brain, that directly affects your consciousness. So we're not purely spiritual. A lot of, you know, mental illnesses can, I. it seems like there's some kind of mix 
because it's thoughts and feelings, but it's also how those thoughts and feelings are interacting with the brain substance. So I don't really know what the difference would be there between mentally ill and spiritual, uh, spiritually ill. The, there's there's not as simple, uh, here's everything physical, here's everything spiritual, there's a constant interaction. There's probably a good chance that he's not Jesus, but as we're reading here, Swedenborg says that that happens a lot spiritually. So there's that component there. Whether you could fix that by giving a particular pill or treatment, I don't know. Swedenborg does say that even though there are spiritual causes for things, we go about treating them physically because that's just the order of things. So it could be a combination of learning and some kind of physical stuff. So in the end, I've said all that to prove that I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. Uh, do they heal on the other side mentally ill? Yes. The mal- the physical, because if there was a mental illness that stemmed from a physical issue, obviously the body isn't attached anymore. That's not going to be there. And then this world of spirits transition that we're talking about frees you of evil and falsity. All mental illness then, spiritual illness would be evil and falsity. So that gets out. You should be feeling pretty happy and healthy. Okay? So thanks for those questions. We're going to do a couple more here. Michael, does anybody just skip the world of spirits and go straight to their heaven or hell? They get they get close. Swedenborg says lifted almost immediately up, or maybe it's immediately. I yes, the answer is yes. Functionally, yes, and it depends on how much we've done here. Little kids go right up because they don't have evil yet, which brings up a whole can of worms, which I'm not going to try to open right now. Can of worms. I guess that's a fishing reference. Um, but there, the more if we do a lot of work here, get processed a lot, and end up pretty close to all the way good, or, or, or our, our thinking and feeling is, is all good and true, or all evil and false, we can get pretty close. And we can, if we want to go up, we can work on ourselves here, and that makes our time in the world of spirits less lengthy. Okay, so let's do two more. Carrie, when we strive to do something good for others, such as curing cancer, and our intentions are not for worldly gain, yet God decides it is not time yet, is that just to grow our spirit? And I'm going to think that you're talking about trying to do something good like cure cancer and it doesn't work. Um, I would think that's a combination of factors. Because if there was somebody, everything proceeds according to order. If there was somebody 400 years ago that was really wanting to cure cancer, even though we can't even now, that back then they just wouldn't nearly have the tools or the means to understand physically what's going on there. So there, can't, you can't just figure out a cure for it without the means. So there's, you're, we're all part of a larger system. It may be that you're part of that process that moves it forward, uh, even if you can't, just because the way things are, you can't be the full solution to it. So I think that it's not necessarily, it's all an indictment on us. We, as far as how that process affects us, there are elements of both. I mean, yeah, we are growing in spirit there, but then we are also doing things for other people. It's, it's a, it's a you know, we're all playing the game at the same time. So what you're doing is affecting other people. So it's, it's partially about your spiritual growth, partially about the actual impact and legacy that you would leave. All right. I think that was good. Okay, I said I said one more question, but there's two more. We'll we'll do. Well, now I don't know how many there are. Okay, there's gonna be. Okay, do we have guardian angels, Jim? Yes, Jim. 
according to not just Swedenborg, but a lot, you've, you've probably heard guardian angels from a lot of other people. Swedenborg says there are two angels with us all the time. One angel with our feelings, one angel with our thoughts. And that these these are constantly with us, moving us, shaping us, I would imagine, protecting. That's at least two. There can be other communities and societies that we're in. I know that there are angels whose job it is is to come and help out. So we uh, we have good help. And I think the guardian angel thing is, is very much real, even though Swedenborg doesn't use that phrase. He uses other ones. So thanks for the question. Here's the last one for the night. Michael, how can one value rationality and value faith and belief without proof? Um, so how can one value rationality and value faith and belief without proof? It depends. Swedenborg talks about how just blindly having faith, just saying, I just believe this and I'm convinced of it. That's not actually that useful. You do need to weigh it in your mind and you need to turn it around and figure it out for yourself. He says that's an important part of the rational process. On the other hand, he talks about having an affirmative attitude, that if you refuse to take any steps forward unless you're absolutely sure, like if, if I was to say, I'm never, unless I can see irrefutable truth that God exists, I'm not going to make any effort to believe that there's God, then you can't progress. If you say, I'm going to let this, I'm going to th- give some benefit of the doubt to this thing, that opens enough of a channel that you start to see the reality of it subtly. It's not something that overwhelms you. you and we all, we vacillate between, this seems like it could be true. No, I don't think that's really true. Is it true? That that's, a, that's an important part of the process too. Swedenborg was huge about the importance of rational thought. Think for yourself. Go do, he was all about that. And that's, that's, that's the part of spirituality. He said that we have sort of historical faith, that this is what we were taught growing up, and we actually need to go through a process of putting that aside and finding out what's really true for us, and that that's, that's the journey of life. So it's sort of both at the same time, and that's an ambiguous sort of answer to your question, which is just where I want to leave it, because that's just the right feel for the question and answer section of Swedenborg in life. As I said before, we are going to have a show next week by popular demand, and it is going to be about the lies that evil spirits tell us. So if you're curious about that kind of thing, then you're welcome to join us. Same time, same place. Thanks for hanging out. See you then.